Hello, hello, and welcome to Genderator. I'm your host, Jennifer Sanfilippo. Melinda Gates is on a campaign to increase the number of women in computer sciences. In a recent speech, she said that only one in five computer science degrees are earned by women. This lack of gender diversity has far-reaching implications for the technology design of our future. Today, women are earning more undergraduate and professional degrees than men. Yet women in the U.S. remain woefully underrepresented in the fields of information technology and mechanical, chemical, and electrical engineering. Why is that? Is it a question of preference, capability, access, opportunity? There certainly is a lot to explore here. In this episode, I've invited cognitive psychologist and author of Sex Differences in Cognitive Abilities, Dr. Diane F. Halpern, to explore the capability factor with me. Diane F. Halpern is the Dean of Social Sciences Emerita at the Minerva Schools at KGI, Professor of Psychology Emerita at Claremont McKenna College, and a past president of the American Psychological Association and the Society for Teaching of Psychology. In addition to sex differences in cognitive abilities, Diane has published hundreds of articles and many books, including Thought and Knowledge, an Introduction to Critical Thinking, and Women at the Top, Powerful Leaders Tell Us How to Combine Work and Family, co-authored with Fanny Chung. She has two books coming out next year, The Cambridge International Handbook for Psychology of Women, co-edited with Fanny Chung, and Critical Thinking in Psychology, co-edited with Robert Sternberg. Diane has graciously called in from California to discuss her work with me today. Welcome to Genderator, Diane. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You have a large body of work, and I could talk to you for hours. For the purpose of this conversation, what I really want to focus on is your work in sex differences and cognitive abilities. In particular, I really want to know who is smarter, men or women? I get that question all the time, <laughs> and the answer is that uh, that's an impossible question first to answer. All of our standardized IQ tests are they standardized to show no overall sex or gender difference. Mm -hmm. So you know, on average, they will get the same scores on them. Mm -hmm. There are some differences on individual abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, I have to say there is clearly no difference. Um, people who have actually done the literature review on tests that are not a norm that way also come to the same conclusion. <laughs> so we may be different on average. I'm going to say on average a lot <laughs> because I'm going to have to remind everyone that we're talking about group averages <laughs> and no one is average. Yes. But on average, we're going to say there's no difference. One of the bios that I read on you said that, uh, I'll quote it, Halpern suggests a biosocial model offers superior insight into cognitive differences than a simple nature versus nurture dichotomy. That indicates that the issue really is a lot more complex, I gather. Yeah, it, it is a complex issue. It's not simply a single number. How much is biology? How much is environment? that doesn't capture very much because there are so many variables. Something as complicated as uh, cognitive abilities, as gender's effects, correlates, uh, you're not gonna get with any single number. Mm -hmm. So it can't be simply uh, how much is biology, how much is environment. Mm -hmm. 
Your research around this issue is extensive. What originally brought you to this work? It's, it was a long time ago, but <laughs> right out of graduate school, I had my first job as a professor. I'm very, very excited. And um, I was teaching two courses. One was psychology of women, one was cognitive psychology. Mm -hmm. And the same questions came up in both classes. Mm -hmm. What about women and men and cognition mm -hmm. or intelligence, as you just mentioned it. And it seemed to me at the time that that would be an easy one for me to answer. <laughs> I do some research. Uh, oh, so I, easy. <laughs> easy. I was young, what did I say? And uh, instead it's kept me busy for decades. Yeah, I'll say. You're on your fourth edition of your book, um, cognitive differences or sex differences in cognitive abilities. Is there going to be a fifth edition? Uh, most likely, yes. We're finishing an edition of another book right now, Critical Thinking. So when that one's done, we'll, I'll probably dig into this one. And the science has got to be changing just, just so quickly. I mean, to keep up with it has got to be pretty difficult as well. Yeah, what's interesting is every time I do a new edition, I'll often have to write in there, if you've read earlier editions, I said X. Mm -hmm. And now with this new kind of data, with this new way of looking at it, now I believe Y is more likely to be true. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important for readers to know that whatever conclusions we make today are not in stone, they're not forever, and the nature of science keeps changing how we understand anything that's complicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so interesting. It keeps you busy, that I, I imagine. Why is it important to study sex differences in cognitive abilities? Hey, great question. It's important for a lot of reasons. First, as, a, as someone who studies psychology and cognition, it advances our knowledge of human cognition. But even more importantly, it has all kinds of public policy implications. Mm -hmm. The way we answer these questions are very important for our ideas. Should we have affirmative action for women in STEM? Mm -hmm. Should we have affirmative action for men in uh, the helping professions? We certainly need many more men in uh, caring, you know, child care and in elementary school teaching and in, um, in nursing. So there's many, many areas where, oh, most areas where the predominant number of people are either men or women. Mm -hmm. And we want to try to understand why and what gets lost. It's important for parents. Mm -hmm. Parents have a definite belief. Teachers have definite beliefs. Mm -hmm. And they act on these beliefs. Mm -hmm. And by on these beliefs, they could be uh, increasing or even decreasing, depending on how they act, uh, some of the cognitive gender differences. So it's important for our understanding of human development. It's important for so many bills we have in Congress or, and governments around the world. So it, it really is, I, I believe, something important to know about. Mm -hmm. The science level sets an argument, doesn't it? If someone has an agenda or an idea that they want to advance through policy that's going to affect everybody, the science is providing the important information for people to distinguish what is true, what is important, what is effective, and what isn't. And I think sometimes that gets lost on a more um, emotional argument. 
oh, the science is critical. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it, it's our people always say science is biased, science is not pure, and that's all true. But it is the best method we have for answering questions that are difficult. So while it's not perfect, it certainly is our very best method. Mm -hmm. And when people have a political agenda, and people do, it's very easy to cherry pick our science. Mm -hmm. And that is pick the ones that support what we believe to be true. And what we have all kinds of data analyses that allow us to look at the entire body of research as a whole. And instead of you know cherry picking a single a single study, I want to turn to women in STEM fields, because one of the things that I've heard throughout this project of mine in my conversations is that as a as a a reason for the decline in female representation in certain STEM fields is that perhaps women aren't as capable. And it's interesting because the statistics now are showing that women are underrepresented in the United States in science and engineering, in the science and engineering workforce, that women make up about 15% of the engineering workforce and 26% of computer and mathematical sciences workforce, despite the fact that on the whole, we make up 50% of the college educated workforce. So... Through your research and your study, is there any validity to the fact that perhaps women aren't as capable in, say, you know, computer technology or aerospace engineering? Okay, that's a great question. And um, first, what do I say to people who say women are not as good in these fields? I say they're wrong. And here is my reasoning for saying that they're wrong. In all of the fields, even um, there has been a steady but small increase of women's participation over the decades. So it's certainly a rise that could not be explained by biology alone. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, um, the nature of these jobs are not always what what pe way people think of it. Think of a chemist. A chemist, of course, needs good visual spatial abilities. But today, a chemist also needs to write for grants, mm -hmm. needs to be able to communicate effectively, uh, needs to engage in a whole range of areas that are usually associated with female strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really many things are operating at the same time. Women have been increasing over the decades in all areas of science, but they're still underrepresented in many of them. Women have, uh, are at parity, for example, in medical schools right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. uh, women are 75 to plus percent in veterinary schools. Mm -hmm. And certainly we think of medicine and veterinary mm -hmm. as sciences. Right. Uh, they're different kinds. Women are actually much more represented in, in biology than they are in physics. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that reason has to be with, with interests. Mm -hmm. If huge studies of the interest inventories over decades. And on average, women have more interests in interpersonal kinds of things, and men have more interest on average on thing kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So certainly it has to do with interest. It has to do with availability. It has to do with the reality of women's lives. Mm -hmm. Most women want children. That's still true. 
Uh, and uh, some careers are harder to have with children than others. Mm-hmm. Bench science, by bench science, I mean you have to be in the laboratory, mm-hmm. you know, doing not just seeing people, but actually in a laboratory. Uh, is very, very time intensive. And uh, we all make career choices that say, how can we best do this for the life we want? Of course, the answer to that is men should be participating equally in childcare. Mm-hmm. We're not there. I remain hopeful, mm-hmm. and um, certainly I have people who have told me that in their household they do. Yes, um, we're still working on that as a society. I want to turn a little bit to your work looking more globally, and I think you've done this research with your colleague Fanny Chung, just looking at other cultures. And it made me think of it because of, uh, as I've been digging into, again, this issue on STEM and women's representation in STEM, I found this article in The Atlantic that cited a study by two psychologists, and uh, they found that least gender equal countries have higher rates of female STEM graduates. And they posit that it is, for women in those countries, more of a direct line into self-sufficiency, where they don't have to rely on uh, a traditional lifestyle. They're guaranteed work, and they will have their own money and be able to make more decisions. The international data are interesting because they don't always go the way we would think. You might think, and I certainly did, that the more gender equal countries would have um, more uh, gender parity in all the occupations mm-hmm. and, uh, and in cognition. And what you find is, if you look at, there are, there are actually indices of gender equality, and there's more than one. Uh, and if you use those indices, you typically will find that any average difference in math disappears. Mm-hmm. So you'd say, aha, just what I expected. Mm-hmm. But it's not that simple because uh, differences in verbal abilities get larger. Differences in visual spatial abilities get larger. And it's not just like something screwy is happening in cognition. Uh, we find a lot of the average personality differences, a whole other line of research, cross-culturally, the differences get larger. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's somewhat uh, difficult to understand, but certainly one reason has to do with what are our options. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in a lot of places that are poorer, there are fewer options, and um, women know that they need to bring in more money and maybe picking careers that allow them to live better. So that's, you know, we don't, we can't say that's the reason, but we can say that that's a reasonable hypothesis among others that, you know, we we need to earn a living and that's true. A lot of these gender unequal countries, uh, you find very little difference across groups and that's because everyone's doing poorly. You go to a really poor country that has great gender inequality. You won't find the kind of difference you expect because everyone is at a low level. So you get what's called floor effects in psychology. Mm -hmm. So none of this is simple. As I mentioned, it's Mm -hmm. all gonna be complicated, but those international data are interesting. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's important to have more women in STEM fields? Do you think it's an important focus 
for us in, in our society, in our culture in the United States? I think it's important for a lot of reasons. One reason is we're losing a lot of potential. There are many women who would be outstanding in these fields who are making other choices. And we have that. I mean, we have the scores of people on these various ability tests, and they're not entering STEM fields even at the same level of ability. So we're certainly losing human potential. Uh, we're also, when women go into these fields, and again, this is on average, when women go into these fields, they often look at something a little different. So when women go into engineering, they're much more likely to go into something like environmental engineering mm -hmm. than they are to go into the engineering that's involved in sewers, mm -hmm. civic engineering. Mm -hmm. So there's you know, some difference in emphasis. Uh, you see it certainly in biology. You see that women are much more likely to look at birth-related, child development-related kinds of biological issues um, rather than others. So there are some on average differences on what people look at, and we really need the full spectrum mm -hmm. of uh, minds deciding what's worth studying. Mm -hmm. You had um, one of the papers you sent me, and thank you very much, uh, talked about encouraging girls in the maths and sciences. Are we finding uh, a, another reluctance at a younger age for girls to pursue, the, pursue those fields because they don't see themselves in it? Or is it back to they just are choosing, they have more choice, so they're choosing things that might, might be more enjoyable for them? Okay, there's a couple things embedded in that question. First, should we be encouraging them? Mm -hmm. I think we should, yeah. but certainly an argument could be made. The should question is not a science question. Yes. The should question has to do with, you know, if someone says, I want to be a writer, I want to be a poet, should we tell that person, no, you should be considering <laughs> STEM? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's certainly a sense of self-choice there. Mm -hmm. um, but we're losing a lot, and these issues about uh, these gender differences start very young. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even someone who may have a mother who is a physician, when asked at a young age, can women be doctors, will say no. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not as clear-cut. Uh, certainly what the messages that we have in schools, in societies, discourage women on average from STEM fields, and we certainly should be encouraging them. We can encourage them with good role models, we can encourage them by emphasizing the interpersonal nature of science. Mm -hmm. uh, science is not one lonely person sitting mm -hmm. in a laboratory <laughs> with a bunch of test tubes, which more sounds like the making of Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you know, a group activity. Mm -hmm. And if we understand more the whole range of skills that you need and the fact that it really is interpersonal, Mm -hmm. um, I think we could do a much better job mm -hmm. for everybody, men also. Mm -hmm. I heard Melinda Gates talk about the low numbers of women in computer technology and how important it was to increase that because our future tools in that world are being created now. So, for example, artificial intelligence and every area that artificial intelligence will, will exist in our lives. If only one type of person is creating and strategizing and problem solving 
for AI, then what does that mean for people who don't look like that person or that group that has created it? You know, so where do women get left out in the advancements of technology along the way? I mean, it's silly, but it just reminds me of like going to a gym and how all the machines are created for an average sized man or um, less silly when uh, Congresswoman Slaughter back in the early 90s introduced legislation to balance out clinical trials and to include women and minorities in the NIH uh, clinical trials because clinical trials up to that point were only being run, even for primarily female diseases, were being run on men, not on women. So the mix is crucial, I think, for our future. The mix is crucial. And you also mentioned something that's important. Uh, not only are women underrepresented, you in fact see the same thing in uh, low-income, typically boys of color. Mm -hmm. So if it is a biologic, mainly a biological kind of influence, certainly boys of color are no less male mm -hmm. than the majority boys. Yes. Um, yeah. And much of what we are saying actually would apply to people of color in general mm -hmm. and boys of color in particular mm -hmm. because they're the group that is least likely to go. I mean, women, if you look at women, they're way ahead of men of color mm -hmm. going in fields. Mm -hmm. And she's right. It is important. One of my favorite new developments has to do with introducing coding in kindergarten. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I think that that's terrific because everybody does it. Mm -hmm. Coding mm -hmm. is essential, not maybe at my age, but certainly <laughs> for anyone coming through now, better know how to code. Yeah. I mean, just what just like one would know how to read. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, there's and that is something that you start coding with a turtle in kindergarten, mm -hmm. and you capture people's interests, boys, girls, everybody mm -hmm. at a much younger age. Yeah. And that is certainly important. Uh, there's actually businesses, coding ninjas, mm -hmm. that are opening in various neighborhoods mm -hmm. that are teaching coding because our schools are falling behind. Mm -hmm. And there is a business there and someone will step on, step into it to make yeah. some money. But I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Oh, that's neat. I like that. Coding ninjas. <laughs> We're going to turn now to your work on critical thinking, and you've also written quite a bit, and you have a textbook, actually, for college course use on critical thinking. Why did you go in that direction? Actually, I'm right now working on the sixth edition ah. of Knowledge and Introduction <laughs> to Critical Thinking. Um, and the first edition I have a co-author on, Dana Dunn. So it's a little more exciting for me to have, a, you know, a, another voice. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, I, I don't believe I have to convince any one of the need <laughs> to do other things like misinformation, mm -hmm. fake news, forecasting elections, and so on that are relatively new developments. Mm -hmm. But we've always needed people who can think critically. Certainly no one is going to uh, question today the need for critical thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, we have all kinds of new challenges. We have social media repeating absolutely ridiculous news. Mm -hmm. And if you hear it repeated and repeated, especially from your friends, it yes. becomes real to you. Yes. And we need to understand that process. We need to understand 
how people are doing the future forecasting for elections and that it becomes so important in, mm -hmm. in our lives. We have to understand where, why fake news is so believable. Mm -hmm. um, so those are all more recent kinds of development. Mm -hmm. but we've always needed critical thinking. There have always been people who have bought medical cures that are uh, bogus, mm -hmm. who have bought products that are worthless. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, it's an important topic, and mm -hmm. I think we can all improve with some instruction, and we have good data on that. Yeah. Yes. I um, I really enjoyed looking at your textbook, and I thought, I wish I could hold a class in my dining room with my 21 and my 20-year-old. You know, in particular, the latest is the uh, vaping. You know, I'm constantly talking to my children about asking questions outside of their friends, <laughs> yet I am also equally impressed with how much they actually do learn and how much they question. It's just, uh, it is so important to continue to emphasize. Like you said, we never didn't need it. it, it will, we will always need the constant reminder to ask questions and to think critically. Also, another important question for them and for everyone is whom do you believe? Do you believe the experts in the field or you do believe your friend who says, I've tried it, I don't feel bad, you know, <laughs> I'm not coughing, and uh, my friend tried it, and we love curry flavoring, um, <laughs> you know, someone who has expertise. And I think that's also something we, we tend to believe our friends and people who are similar to us. Yes. And we need to be looking for all sorts of other views, particularly those with expertise. Yes, you, you certainly hit the nail on the head. I will tell you, my children will certainly believe their friends over, over something I say. At least that's what they, <laughs> that's what it seems like. The brain trust that is there, the cabal of friends. You have just finished another book with Fanny Chung, the Cambridge International Handbook on Psychology of Women. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I'm so excited about it. Uh, we just recently sent the entire manuscript off to the publisher. So this was a, we have 100 authors uh, on six continents. Wow. And the idea is most of our psych knowledge of women's psychology is from, well, U.S. or other Western European, not even Eastern European, mm. Western European countries. Mm -hmm. and can have a psychology of women if we're ignoring the real lives of most women in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really puts things into different perspective. So how do we do an international? No one can know it all. So we came up with the most important topics uh, that we thought should be addressed. We found uh, someone who is expert in that area. We'd either ask that person or help that person find an expert from another culture, a distant country, and often teams from you know three or four different countries uh, that address a particular topic. And you know, people from different countries have different perspectives on it. There's so much that we never even think to ask in, uh, in our culture that's important to women. Mm -hmm. And so much, you know, sex trafficking yes uh, right. you know those are very different around the world women's health access to information about reproduction uh, there's so many different questions that change as you go around the world suicide is different mm -hmm. uh, and it really should alter how we think 
and not just have a very European, Western-centric view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you for that work. I'm sure it'll, it'll divulge a lot for all of us to think about uh, more deeply as we approach the global issues that touch us so much more closely than in the past. Um, yeah, it was very exciting to work on. And I have to tell you that Fanny Chung was the moving force on this one. Uh, she is incredibly brilliant and hardworking, and I'm very lucky that I get to work with her. <laughs> That's She's great. In China. She's in China? She's in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Diane Halpern, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you join me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you, and thank you for your work on understanding gender. You've been listening to Genderator. If you have questions or would like to comment, please go to my website at www.genderator.com. That's Genderator with a J. Take good care.